Good morning. I'm excited to be here. How about you? There you go. All right. So in two months from Monday, yep, I turn 40. So I've been grieving and processing this a lot. So probably the next couple of weeks uh, in sermons, I'm going to be talking about turning 40. Just so you know, just heads up on that. But it made me really think through about, you know, looking back over the last 39 and, and 10 twelfths uh, of my life and life in high school and things like that. Do you ever open up, you know, look at pictures from high school? And number one, man, I'm so glad Facebook didn't exist or Instagram when I was in high school because, oh boy, that would be embarrassing and uh, not good. But you look back and you're like, man, was I ever that skinny? It's hard to believe, right? Come on, anyone else? And, you, you know, all the fun activities, and you think about all the, the crazy things that you got into. And I, I was thinking back, especially this week, a lot about just going back uh, high school years. And when I was in high school, I was actually, my dream was to be a rock star. I did not achieve that status. Um, however, some of my friends did, so I'm happy for them. Never, ever, ever jealous about that life. Uh, but no, I wanted to be in a band. And, and so me and a couple of my closest friends, we started a band in high school. None of us really knew how to play any of our instruments. And so we kind of learned together. And, uh, and so uh, we, we, we got together, we wrote music, and every Saturday from 10 to 2, we got together for band practice. And we would drink Mountain Dew, eat Canadian bacon and pineapple pizza. Sorry if you don't agree, fruit belongs on a pizza. It absolutely does. And thank you, thank you. I see a few witnesses out there. And, and, and we, we, we traveled. We, we recorded music onto tape decks, because this was before computers, basically. There's no internet back then. And uh, we, we recorded music. We, we toured all this stuff. And, you know, eventually the band broke up. We went our separate ways, went off to college. Uh, but this week, as I'm thinking about turning 40, man, I really thought a lot about those years. And also because uh, our lead guitar player, Darren, he, he died on Monday. And man, that made me just think and look back and remember the good times. Darren loved Jesus with all his heart. Darren went through some crazy stuff in high school. Um, just got the short end of a stick in a lot of ways. And just had some awful things done to him. But you know what? In spite of those things that were done to him, God still used him. And hearing the stories of the last week of so many teenagers who were mentored by him in worship, uh, in, in life. He was a mortgage broker. He helped us get our house. So many of my friends get houses. And we got together yesterday and we celebrated on Friday Darren's life. But every time, every single time I go to a funeral, man, it makes me just really think and to reflect. I don't know about you. And you know, what is my life pointing towards? And so in this series, we've been talking a lot about we need to have a vision. Where are we going with our lives, with our families, with our businesses, with our careers? We've talked a lot about how vision is a picture of a preferred future. And, and so we fix our eyes on Christ. We say, this is where I want to lead my family. This is where I want to lead my life. But one of the ways we stay on track is, is, is with values. And we say how values answer that question, how do we act? So we talk about values as a church, values as a family, just values in our life. And we also say, you know, like values, I love this definition of values, they're like the riverbanks, and they keep your life, your mission moving forward. It gives power to that when you have 
strong values. And so this is our week three of our series called Family Values. And um, we've been talking through this. That, that The first week we talked about um, uh, how we need to be trusting in the promises of God, that we build our life on God's word. We talked about how Jesus tells this story of the wise builder who built his life on the rock. And when the storms came and the winds blew, his house stood firm. But the foolish man built his house on the sand and the, and the shifting sands of culture and just there's no foundation. And so when, not if, when tragedy strikes, when death happens, when bankruptcy or infertility or whatever it might be, if you don't, if you aren't building your life on the promises of God, on his firm foundation, on the rock of God's word, then your life is gonna be shaken. And then, and then last week, we talked about how we need to be pursuing uncommon unity, that there's way more that brings us together than what separates us. So those of us who are followers of Christ, we said, man, other churches, those who might believe a little differently than us, they're not the enemy. We have an enemy. His name is the devil. He's the evil one. And that is who we fight against. And, and one of the ways that, that Jesus prayed for us in, in John 17, we talked about last week, he prayed that we'd be sanctified, and how do we get sanctified is through God's word, and that's why we build our lives on his word, that we're set apart. But then he prayed that they, we would be one and be unified. And we say that, that that picture of us being unified as a family, in marriage, as a church, that shows the world that what brings us together is Christ. And people say, man, you have so many things that set you apart. How can you come together and say, man, we come together at the foot of the cross. We bow the knee to Jesus and we're pursuing uncommon unity. Today, uh, we're talking about making bold moves. We're talking about making bold moves. That's, that's our, our value for today. Uh, we're gonna dive into a story where Jesus takes his disciples on a field trip to the most unlikely of places, and it's, it's a wild and crazy story when you really understand what's going on here. Well, before we do that, uh, we're gonna turn to Matthew 16. I'm just gonna pray. Would you just join me with a word of prayer? God, I thank you that you are here in this place. The name of Jesus is, is powerful. It breaks chains. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. So God, I pray that you would be here that you'd work in and around and through my words, that everyone in here would hear what they need to hear from you, God. God, those of us who are grieving, maybe we've lost a friend or a dream, God, that you'd just continue to heal our hearts, that we would live life in light of eternity, that we would live for what matters most. God, I pray that each and every one of us would just leave here today choosing to make bold moves for you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, and uh, the scriptures will be here. Um, we're trying this out. I'm gonna see, try and so having a TV here so I can read the scriptures off. Uh, so let me know what you think about this, and uh, yeah, we're trying it out. Otherwise, back here. Matthew 16, verse 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So real quick, we wanna camp on Caesarea Philippi. So, so many times where we can read through God's word and we just go right through that. But if Matthew is giving us these important details, why is he telling us that they're in this region? 
Like so many times we get the words of Jesus, but we don't know where he said them. Well, first, where is Caesarea Philippi? Well, Caesarea Philippi is in this region just outside of, of, of Israel. And it was originally known as Panias, the town. It's after the Greek god Pan. Maybe you've seen like Midsummer's Night's Dream. Remember like the goat god Pan? He's got the, the little horns and the feet. That's Pan. Well, Philip the Tetrarch, he's the son of Herod the Great. If you've seen like the kids' Christmas movie, The Star, or you've seen, you know, read the Christmas story, Herod the Great wanted to kill Jesus as a little baby. Well, his son, Philip the Tetrarch, was one of the rulers who ruled over this area after Herod died. And Philip wanted to honor Caesar. During this time, the Roman Empire is ruling the whole known world. And so Philip renames Panias, this town, and he wants to honor Caesar. And he says, well, why not honor myself as well? So he names it Caesarea after Caesar and Philippi after Philip himself. And so that's where Caesarea Philippi is. And it was this center of worship for the Greek god Pan, this half-goat man. And there's actually a cave nearby that was known as the Gates of Hell. And I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to that. It was this cave known as the Gates of Hell. And they actually thought that's where the Greek god Pan was born. And it was the entrance into hell. And so Jesus, as a good Jewish rabbi in his 30s, is bringing his teenage disciples with him on a field trip to this pagan city, this Roman city, where it's the center of, of cultish worship for Pan, the goat god. Now, in this town, there'd be prostitutes for worship, and some historians say that some of that worship involved goats as well um, with the prostitutes, and I'll let you fill in the blanks. It was crazy, gross, ugly, weird. That's where Jesus brings his disciples, okay? So if Josh brings our kids to Whirly Ball, like, that is nothing compared to Caesarea Philippi. I mean, come on, this is literally the gates of hell is what they thought. And so that's where, that's where Jesus is bringing his disciples. Go on to the next one. Or he says, ask the disciples, who do you say? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Go on to the next one. Who do people say the Son of Man is? That's one of Jesus' favorite words for himself. His titles is the Son of Man. Go on. And they said, some say John the Baptist, John the Baptist had been beheaded and killed, and some people thought maybe he was reincarnated, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, an Old Testament prophet who was promised to come back, and actually uh, Elijah pointed to John the Baptist. And others, Jeremiah, are one of the other prophets. We said to them, but who do you say that I am? Jesus asked the disciples, well, that's great that all those people are saying these things about me, but who do you say that I am? See, Jesus is pushing for a move. He's saying it's not enough just to say what everyone else is saying, but he's pushing for movement. Jesus knows that movement brings life. That's today's value is trust or making bold moves. See, some people thought that Jesus was just a good teacher. That's what some people think nowadays. Jesus was just a good teacher, a good example. He had some good ideas on how to, how to love others. But Jesus is saying, no, who do you say that I am? And then Peter, what does Peter say? I love this because we can count on Simon Peter to be the one to jump in and kind of jump without looking, right? He's the one, if you know, he's always just talking off the top of his mouth. He's the one who Jesus is out walking on the water and Peter's like, if that's you, Jesus, I'm gonna come out with you. And you know, all the other disciples are, are scared. He, he gets out of the boat. He's the one who's gonna chop off someone's ear later. Uh, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
there in this pagan city named after Caesar and Philip the Tetrarch, the center of worship for this goat god, Peter sees Jesus for who he really is. Not at the temple, not outside the Sea of Galilee, not in some mountaintop. Because a lot of times in the darkest places, the light shines the brightest, amen? And it's there in that super awkward place for a field trip that Jesus, the Christ, is finally recognized and proclaimed by Peter. Now, I think a lot of people, we grow up, and maybe Jesus Christ was something you said or your dad said when he hit his thumb. Or, you know, you just thought Christ was Jesus' last name. You know, it was you know, Mary and Joseph Christ, and Jesus was born to them. Well, Christ is actually not his last name. Jesus is his name, and Christ is his title. And what, what does Christ mean? What does it mean that Peter calls him Christ? Christ means the anointed one. It's this idea from the Old Testament, the Messiah, the one who would bring peace between God and his people. Peter is saying, I believe that you are the Messiah, the one who's going to bring restoration, the one who's going to bring peace. In biblical times, there were three groups of people who would be anointed, kind of like inaugurated into their roles, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And the Christ would embody characteristics of all three. The prophet is the one who goes between God and his people, proclaiming the words of God. And so Jesus came to be prophet, to share the words of God with us, to say, this is who God is. I am the full representation of who God is. Priest was another role in the Old Testament that would be anointed into service. And in a similar way, the priest goes between people and God. And the priest would come before God as represent the people and say, they have sinned, they have, they have messed up, and so now we're gonna offer the sacrifice to bring, to bring forgiveness. And that's what Jesus came, to represent us to God as both God and man. But instead of a priest who'd have to continually offer sacrifices, Jesus' sacrifice would only have to be made once and for all. And then the role of king, they would also be anointed. And Jesus came as, as king to inaugurate the kingdom of God to bring his rule and reign here on this world. And so Peter's declaring that Jesus is this anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the promised prophet, priest, and king. And he's the son of the living God. And that is a huge, huge statement. Peter is saying, you are the son of the living God, that you are God. Now, for a Jewish boy whose whole identity was monotheism, when every other culture on earth believed in thousands of gods, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, Phoenician, whatever it might be, the Jewish people were set apart. They believed in just one God, one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. It's a prayer they would say every single day. They believe in one, one God, one God, one God, as the one thing, as the Roman Empire conquered Israel and as they are faced with this pluralistic culture of the whole Roman Empire and the need to absorb and be like everyone else and believe there are multiple ways to get to heaven and that all the pathways are equal, the Jewish people stood firm and said, no, we believe in one God. For Peter to say that you are the son of the living God, that you are God, it's mind-blowing that somehow he believes you, Jesus, are the Christ, you are God. And so how does Jesus respond to this? Now, 
he's a good teacher, but there's really three ways that we can look at this. And C.S. Lewis is one of the first who, who really put it this way, that number one, you can, if you're taking notes, you can write these down, is that Jesus is a liar, that he knows he's not God, but he's letting his student believe that he's God, and Jesus is gonna go to the cross dying for a lie. He's gonna allow all his followers to die for a lie. So you can believe that. But that makes him a pretty horrible person. And so then, don't follow the teachings of Jesus. Don't believe his words if you think he's just a liar. Number two, the option is that he's a lunatic. He's crazy. He, he thought he was God, but he actually wasn't. But he's, he, you know, he belongs in Arkham Asylum. That's the second option. But then again, don't follow the words of a madman then. Don't follow the teachings and just say, he's just a good teacher. He was a little crazy, but he's just a good teacher. Or three, the only option left to us is that he truly is Lord. He really is the son of the living God. He really is the Christ. He really is the Messiah. He came to represent God to us as prophet. He came to bear our sin and guilt and shame on the cross as priest. And he's our king who's coming back again one day to rule and reign. Those are our three options. And I, I hope today, if you've been wrestling with who Jesus is, that you don't just continue to think he's a good teacher. Because he didn't give us that option. He's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he is Lord. And we need to ask, what's our response to that? Well, let's go on in our story. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. He's saying, you're right. I am the son of the living God, my father in heaven. And I tell you, he's not gonna give him a new name. You are Peter. You were Simon. Now you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, they're literally outside the gates of hell. Just, you gotta remember that. They're, they're in Caesarea Philippi. He's probably pointing, the gates of hell. And they're like, it's right there. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In this moment, Jesus gives Simon a new name, Peter. Remember week one, we talked about trusting God's promises, that we need to build our life on the rock. And Jesus says, I will build my church on this rock, that we need to have a firm foundation. Not only does it give Peter a new name, Peter, which means Petros, which means rock, but he's gonna give the his disciples, their battle plans. He says, I will build my church. Who does Jesus say is gonna build his church? Jesus will. I will build my church. Jesus will build his church. This is the verse that when I get together with other pastors, we have to remind ourselves of this all the time. Because it's not us who builds his church. It's not cool LED walls. It's not you know, the best children's program. It's not whatever we can do. Jesus says, I will build my church, amen? And the gates of hell, remember, he's pointing at the actual gates of hell, what they think is his, shall not prevail against him. Now, for the longest time, when I read this, I took comfort in this, because I thought, okay, good. You know, the gates of hell are not gonna prevail against us. I thought this was, you know, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, that, that you know, we're, we're gonna hold steady that when hell comes against us, we'll stand firm and, and we'll be able to defend against all the attacks of the enemy. And I have to be honest, that, that's what I thought for like 25 years, 28 years, until one of my pastors I worked for in Colorado, 
he said, you know what? A gate is a pretty terrible offensive weapon. Like, you don't see many guys going into battle carrying a gate, right? And I was like, what? What is Jesus saying? He's not saying that the forces of hell are going to be holding their gates and charging against us. He's saying that church, we go on the offensive, right? He's saying that we go and plunder hell and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. That when we push into darkness, when we push back the works of the enemy, when we go places where where no one has gone before and share the gospel, Josh's parents went into a small tribe in Papua New Guinea and, and translated God's word where there was no language before. When they do that, it says the gates of hell will not prevail. That when we go carry Christ into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our our places of work, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's no stronghold that will come against, that will stand firm against the name of Jesus, amen? Not because of our strength, but because of the name of Jesus and who he is. Jesus is saying, we're gonna take the fight to the devil, we're not going to stand back and just curse the darkness. We're not just going to stand back and say, oh, those millennials, they don't want to go to church. Or, you know, all those liberals or all those conservatives or all those Trump fans or all those Democrats. We don't just curse the darkness. We don't just stand back and say it's so terrible. We say, no, we go on the offensive because Jesus is with us. And we know that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against us. Jesus will build his church. And so we want to make bold moves because we know that nothing can stand against the name of Jesus. Amen? We're the ones supposed to be going into the darkness boldly on the offense. The forces of wickedness should tremble. I think it's Beth Moore. I love what she says. She says, you know, be the kind of woman or, or guys that when you wake up and your, your feet hit the floor, the devil says, oh, crap, she's awake. I love that. I love that, that, that when we're sleeping, we're trusting that Christ is at work and he's moving, but then we wake up and when our feet hit the ground, the devil's like, oh, they're awake. And we're gonna be making bold moves. We're pushing back the works of darkness. We're rescuing and redeeming the captives because we're bringing Jesus wherever we go, amen? Jesus is saying, go to the gates of hell. They're literally in this place. They're looking at this dark town and said, go to the gates of hell. Confess that he is Lord, that he is Savior, and see what happens. Make a bold move. If you're taking notes right this time, movement brings life. Movement brings life. God wants us to move. We aren't meant to just sit back and and lay in, in a barca lounge or lay in bed all day long. If we do that, our bodies will atrophy. We will not be healthy. A body in motion will tend to stay in motion. A body at rest will tend to stay at rest. And so Jesus says, movement brings life. God wants us to move. Make bold moves knowing that Jesus is with us. The gates of hell will not prevail. He knows it's good for us to make bold moves. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Some of you, your next bold step, you need to start using your spiritual gifts. Maybe you have the gift of prophecy, and you need to speak life over people. And you say, you know what? You were bound. 
by chains of addiction. But no more. In the name of Jesus, you are free. As you speak life over people and you say, you know what, you were bound by anxiety and depression. But no more. In the name of Jesus, be free. Jesus is saying that what Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Not because of what we say, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, the authority that he grants us as his advocates here, as his ambassadors on earth. Amen? Church, we need to step into our spiritual gifts, step into our spiritual calling to boldly go. We have to move. Because if we don't move, think about what you could be missing out this week, as I thought about my brother Darren dying at 38, and so much more does life have felt like. And I thought, man, we need to take the most of every day that we have, every opportunity, because we don't know how long we have. It could be one more day, one more week, 10 years, 30 years, we don't know. But it'd be so easy to miss out on what God has for us. Think about Peter. He was a fisherman. That's what he knew. His, his family, they were fishermen. It's probably his grandfather, his great-grandfather. That's all he knew was fishermen. Hey, there's nothing wrong with fishermen. Dan's a great fisherman. That was Peter's family job. And just think about what he would have missed out. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, on Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake, of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. At this time, you would fish all night long because it'd be cooler and the fish would come to the top. And so they were fishing all night long. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, they were washing their nets, sorry, because they hadn't caught anything. And so they'd come back and they were done and they're cleaning up. So they're, they're getting the boat all cleaned up so that they could go to bed. Jesus get into one of the boats, which was Simon's. It's going to become Peter, the rock. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Something that Jesus would do is that, you know, your voice carries over water, and so Jesus is getting out into the water a little bit, and, and he's going to start teaching the people in the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he's done preaching. I'm wrapping up here soon. He said to Simon, put out into the deep part of the water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon is thinking, this Jewish rabbi knows nothing about fishing. What is he telling me? He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, not when they thought about it, not when they intended to do it, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They caught so many fish that the nets are just absolutely full. They signaled to their partners in the other boat, James and John, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats. This is a fortune of, of fish. Go ahead. So that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, the other boat. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, a fortune of fish, 
their family business, everything, and followed him. Doing makes the difference. Not just believing, not just thinking, and not just intending to do it, not just praying for it, but when they had done this, when they made that bold step to follow Jesus. Jesus saying, I have something for you, but I couldn't show you what that was until you took this bold step. It all hung in the balance with a single decision. So your heavenly father wants something for you. Maybe there's something you've been doing your whole life, Peter and James and John and Andrew. They've been fishing their whole life and then Jesus says, go out into the water, let down your nets. And they do it and they, they catch this amazing catch of fish. Something Peter and they had done thousands of times before Jesus says, do it differently. Maybe there's an approach to relationships you've been doing your whole life, and Jesus says, I want you to think about doing relationships differently. Maybe it's the, your approach to marriage. Maybe it's your approach to church, your spiritual life. There's a bold move that Jesus wants you to make, and something you've been doing your whole life, but Jesus wants you to think about doing it differently. It's doing that makes the difference. You don't want to spend the rest of your life wondering what might have been. You don't want to get to the end of your life knowing your funeral is approaching and thinking, man, what if I had taken that bold step of faith? And Peter, when he realizes who Jesus is, he says, get away from me. I am not worthy. I'm not worthy of your investment. See, I think every one of us faces that battle that we think we are not worthy. And so we push Jesus away. But Jesus showed Peter his net worth. You'll think about that later. Yeah. But truly, if you've wondered, man, Jesus couldn't use me, we've all felt that way. That's how Peter felt. He said, get away from me, Jesus. But Jesus says, no, I am choosing you because you were a failure. So if you feel like a failure, you're in good company. Because here's the deal. Jesus could not have used their boats if they had been successful and had caught all these fish. It was only because of their failures that Jesus can use their faith. It's only because of their emptiness that Jesus can use them to do what he wanted them to do. Their failure positioned them for their future. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. We're gonna do something a little different. Um, the band's gonna play a song, and I'm gonna invite you to think about coming forward and think about what is your bold move. Some ideas for you. Maybe your, your, your bold move is you realize, hey, we have a spare bedroom in our house. We have a spare car that we're not using, a little extra money on the side. Maybe God is asking you to make a bold move. Maybe it's opening your home up to someone who needs a place to stay. I grew up in a home where we had college students living constantly with us, my, my parents opening their home. The Holy Spirit is always moving us. As a church, we need some of you to make some bold moves. You guys keep making babies, all right? Uh, we have someone, I think currently, I don't know if they have their baby yet, they're in the hospital getting ready to have, this is gonna be our third baby born this month, all right? We have a lot of kids. We need some more people to step up, make a bold move, and to serve in our nursery, all right? We need, uh, I just asked Beth what it was, we need 10 more volunteers to serve on a monthly basis in Mosaic Kids. 10 more. That if you wanna invest in kids in the elementary room, if you wanna hold babies, we need 10 more people, because we have so many kids to serve in our kids' ministry team. We need four more people to join our pack-up team, to stick around just after church for an hour and help pack us up. We need two more people to join our setup team on Sunday mornings. Maybe your bold move is to share your faith with a coworker. Maybe your bold move is getting baptized. 
I don't know what your bold move is, but you need to, to move, to live. Would you stand with me? Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. And in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, there is this practice of coming forward to be anointed for what God has for you. There's nothing magical about anointing oil, nothing extra spiritual. But as the band plays this song, I want us to think that we are commissioned to go into battle. Last week I played that clip from the Avengers. We talked about how the Avengers come together, Avengers assemble. And, and, and we need to church assemble to go into battle. But we don't fight with our words. We don't fight by picketing. We fight on our knees. And so I want to encourage you to, uh, if, if you feel like God is calling you to make a bold move, to come down here. There you go. There's the key. Right. Uh, and make a bold move. And you're going to come down here. And I would love to pray for you. Just anoint you with oil. And, and pray that God would give you the faith to take that bold step. I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to lead us in the song. And I know we're going slightly late today, but that's all right. Uh, and, and while the band plays the song, just I'd love to pray for you as you take that bold step. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here with us, that at your name we find healing and wholeness and love and grace. So Jesus, be with us now. I ask God that everyone here would take that bold step to, to follow you. God, that we would fight our battles on our knees, knowing, God, that you are in control. And so, God, I just pray right now, there, for those in this room who are feeling just a stirring and, and, and that you are calling them to take a bold step of faith, maybe that's to share their faith, maybe it's to play in a church, maybe it's to be a missionary, maybe it's to serve in kids' ministry, maybe it's just to, to be a better husband or father or, or, or mother or wife. God, that you would give them that faith to make that step. Your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be down here. I'd love to pray with you, to anoint you. If you feel like God is inviting you to take that bold step, and then we'll do our closing song after that.